Go ahead and open up to the book of Acts. We're going to pick it up where we left off a couple weeks ago in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts 17. And while those Bibles are getting passed out, and again, if you don't own one, that's a gift from the Lord for you. We want you to keep that. Um, Let me ask you something. Have you found that it's much harder in the times we live in today to... Trust what is being told to you on the news or what you're reading on social media. Just not being able to take it at face value, right? I mean, even from what used to be maybe reputable like news sites or whatnot, everything just there's there's kind of this this thing in the back of my head like, I don't know if I can believe what's being said here. Would you guys agree with that? In some cases, what you see is you see what appear to be both like qualified people saying completely the opposite thing, right? Have you guys noticed that? I mean, I've seen that in several instances where if you're looking at the qualifications, like this person should know what they're talking about, but they're saying exactly the opposite of what this other qualified person is saying, which only adds more confusion to what's being said in my mind because it's like, well, what do I believe? And what I've found is that There's no way that I can, in a sense, feel secure or confident in what I'm believing unless I take the time to do the research myself and kind of look at all things and try to understand it to the degree that because I've researched, because I've examined, because I've looked at all angles, I feel confident because I've studied it for myself that this is the right way to look at this or this is the right way to understand it. This is the right way to believe it because I took the time to do the research for myself. Would you guys kind of agree with that it's time consuming but that's the only way i can do it and the reason i'm pointing this out is because if you truly want to have faith in god and his word this same principle applies in that it can't just be based off of what i'm telling you or what somebody else is telling you when it comes down to it if you want to have a strong faith that's able to be tested when it when it's being tested to just withstand that test to really stand up that you can be confident in in God in his word in his promises then you have to know it for yourself you have to have done the research you have to have looked into God's word and who he says he is and who he says his son Jesus is and, and his plans for you and his promises for you so that you can know it for yourself before you will have that strong and confident faith. And in today's text, we're going to see a church that is noted and commended for this and as such is a really great example for us to learn from, to glean from, if you will. Amen? All right, so we left off in Acts 17 with Paul and his crew. They're sharing the good news with the people at the synagogue in Thessalonica, and we see many of the people get saved. And so that's where we're going to pick it up today. I'm going to read uh, the, the first four verses we read in Acts 17 just for context purposes so you understand what's going on. Let me read this whole section, then we'll pray and we'll start going through it. It says, now, this is Acts 17, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis, Amphipolis, sorry, in Apollonia, or yeah, Apollonia, They came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining 
and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Here's where we're going to pick it up today. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived there, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many... Of them, therefore, believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came here too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed dear heavenly father lord god such a good text for us to green or glean just learn practically from lord to have things to apply in our own lives just expressing um for one thing the importance of knowing your word and approaching it the right way so lord as we go through this text as always we just pray that you would um minister to us personally so that we can leave here changed and implementing these things in our lives so we can experience the same type of faith these people in this church had. And Lord, we, we always want to be ready and willing to receive whatever it is you have to say, knowing that it, you have the words of life. You have the words that will show us how to experience that true life that we all want. And so we want to approach you, and every time your word's open, whether we're reading it or it's being taught with that, that readiness to receive whatever it is and listening for what it is you want to say to us. So have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so verse 5. But the Jews, this would be the religious leaders and those following them that didn't believe Paul and Silas, all right, that were rejecting what they were saying. It says, but the Jews were jealous. And I want you to note that because that right there, their jealousy is the underlying reason for everything they're about to do. And that's important to note. But the Jews were jealous And taking some wicked men of the rabble, that'd be like the marketplaces, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them, this would be Paul and Silas, out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down, referring to Christians, have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they were all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So these unbelieving Jews, in their jealousy, as I noted there in verse 5, 
They basically um, are upset at the fact that people are believing Paul and Silas and following them, as verse 4 says, like basically joining them as Christians. And in that jealousy, they form a mob, they incite them to riot and go after Paul and Silas, who are staying at the house of a, a brother named Jason, Jason being related to Paul, according to Romans sixteen twenty one. maybe his house being where the church kind of met in this young church in this city or where they would kind of operate out of. And when this crowd can't find Paul and Silas, they end up grabbing Jason and some of the other Christians there and they bring them before the city authorities and they accuse them of basically treason, of co-conspiring with Paul and Silas to... Uh, encourage rebellion against Rome or basically follow King Jesus and, and let him be your Lord instead of following after Caesar. Now, we know that that was not their main objective. That was not what they were trying to encourage the people to do. Actually, we never see Paul or any other writer of the New Testament encourage rebellion against authorities. Quite the contrary. We see them in multiple places actually say you should follow the governing authorities, as long as they're not telling you to do something that is contrary to God's word, because God has allowed them to be in place. All right. Uh, Romans 13, one through seven and first Peter two, 13 through 17, or we don't have time to go there, but those are two specific examples. Paul's agenda. It was never political. It was always spiritual. So what he is encouraging is not rebellion against the government. He's saying, you need to rebel against this world system that is under the the influence of the enemy. And you need to repent of your sin and follow Jesus so you can become a part of God's kingdom instead of a part of the enemy's kingdom. Which he says in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, that we're all a part of before we place our faith in Jesus, right? Before you placed your faith in Jesus, you un, you might have unknowingly, but you were willingly following after the enemy and his lies until God opened your eyes. And so he's saying, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and you will be a part of God's kingdom instead of the enemy's kingdom. Now, in the process of making these false accusations against these Christians, these people unknowingly compliment them in saying that they were part of a group of people who were turning the world upside down. In essence, what they're acknowledging is these Christians are making a difference. I mean, this good news they're preaching is affecting people in a crazy way. They're being changed, all right? Their chains are being broken. They're being like, like, um, you know, like they have life. They're, they have joy. They have peace. Like they're seeing this, but they're accusing them of turning things, the world upside down. And that same charge, it's often what we hear when people come after us for speaking about Jesus in the truth of God's word, Right. They'll say, you're turning the world upside down. But the reality is you're not. You're turning it right side up, right? Because what we preach is truth, which we know is truth, sounds like foolishness to those that are following after the enemy. But it's not. Just because they don't see that, it's still the best news you could ever give them. It's still truth, okay? And that's why Jesus says in Matthew five fourteen through 16, you, this is you, Christian, who have placed your faith in Jesus, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This world, it's compared in the Bible to being dark. Because it's blinded by the enemy. 
as a whole, all right? Not those that have placed their faith in Jesus, but as a whole, this world is following after the enemy and his ways. That's why things are so messed up and they keep getting more messed up, all right? But the Lord has chosen you, filled with his Holy Spirit, to illuminate it, basically, to reveal the darkness for what it is. And so every time you go out there and you're doing things in the name of the Lord and you're telling people the truth of his word and you're telling people the good news, you are revealing the darkness for what it is. Whether you know it or not, that's what God is doing through you. So that, as Jesus tells us in John eight thirty two, you can set people free from that deception. You can set them free from their sin. You can set them free from that darkness. Amen? And we don't want to hide that light. Like he says, it's like, that's just foolish. It's like, who covers the light? The point of a light is to shine in the dark. And you don't have to, if you turn a light on, it's always going to shine in the dark, right? It's always going to overcome the darkness. If we turn the lights off in here, those lights around the room are going to shine. You don't have to do anything to shine. Jesus in you will shine. You just let him lead you in life and be faithful with the things he tells you to do. And you will shine. He will use you to shine. Amen? And reveal the darkness. Now, these city officials, they're concerned, justifiably so, as this, they definitely would not have wanted in the Roman Empire to be known as a city of unrest or rebellion, all right? Rome overall, they didn't really care what people believed as long as their beliefs weren't causing unrest or, you know, like, you know, civil disobedience, anything like that. If they got wind of some, like a city, that happening in a city, they would be really quick to send soldiers and try to stamp it out, all right? So they had reason to be worried at these things that they were hearing. But they end up letting Jason and the rest of these believers go without, I mean, best that we can tell them, having to defend themselves because they probably saw these accusations for what they were. They were baseless. They really weren't trying to do this at all. So they probably understood that. But they do this on the condition that they ensured Paul and Silas left the town. Basically, the people they perceived as being the cause for this unrest, they said, as long as you guys make sure these guys leave, that's fine. And they take a like a security top deposit from Jason to ensure that he does what he says. He's probably agreeing to this because he senses that, well, these guys are going to be hurt if they stay here. I don't want them to have to you know, unnecessarily endure persecution, so they should go. Now, here's the thing I want you to note in this first section that we're going to spend some time talking about. I want you to note that the accusation made against Paul and Silas and these other believers was not, in fact, the actual reason these non-believing Jews were upset. Okay? Now, why were they upset? What did it say in the beginning of verse 5? They were jealous, right? That's not what they were accusing them of. They were accusing them of treason, but that wasn't the real reason that they were upset or the reason for that accusation. It was because they were jealous. And I point that out because when people bring accusations against you or they're saying things about you that aren't true, how many of you guys have experienced that before in your life? All right? When that happens, I'm going to tell you, More times than not, almost in every instance, it's likely due to a deeper reason than is being openly expressed, okay? It's not what they're accusing of. Obviously, if you know that's not true, it's not true. So that's not really the root of the reason. In Like in this instance right here, there's something deeper going on in them that's causing them to react that way. Now, 
I'm not talking about if you've truly done something wrong to somebody, if you've done something to, to offend them or whatnot, that's a totally different thing. And what God tells us to do in that situation is do everything we can to make things right, all right? We repent first to him and say, man, I'm sorry. I know I'm forgiven by the blood of Jesus, but man, I, I want my conscience clear with you. And then we go and try to seek forgiveness from the person to make it right with him. That doesn't always work, but the best we can, we try to make things right, all right? But in a situation like this, where, like I said, most of us have been this or you will be in it at some point in your life. I'm going to give you two ways to react that are way better than how you naturally are going to want to react, all right? The first is that you need to trust the Lord to defend you, all right? That's the first. And then the second is you need to seek him for wisdom on what the real issue might be so that you can let him lead you in his truth and with his grace to handle it according to his word, all right? Now, that's not naturally how we react, right? When we hear somebody's talking about us and saying things that aren't true. What's the natural reaction? Yeah, to get defensive, right? Because like this is untrue. And, and it's got to be made known to everybody that they're wrong and they're lying and my name's being tainted. And that that's that's how we naturally react, right? And, and, and that leads to often, rea- it's an emotional reaction, all right? And our emotions are never a good thing to let us lead us into anything because we hardly are going to act in a humble way, which is what the Bible tells us to react, right? I actually heard this pastor say this once in, or at a men's conference I went to recently, and it really hit me like a ton of bricks. He said, if you're feeling the need to be defensible, if you're defending yourself in a reaction to something, whether that's with your spouse or something else, you're not being humble. And I'm like, whoa. I'm like, that's probably right. Yeah, it's like if I'm feeling, I got to defend myself in this or, or whatnot. I'm not reacting humbly. I'm reacting out of emotion. And that, that can lead to a whole lot of problems, all right? Now, God's word, especially in the Psalms, it gives us lots and lots of examples of God's people being treated or talked about unjustly and them going to God to defend them and God doing that, right? Actually, somebody, a brother shared this. We had a ministry meeting yesterday with the kids and ministry workers, and somebody shared from Psalm 108, 12 through 13, and I thought it was really appropriate because it says in Psalm 108, 12, a, the psalmist going through something like this, he said, oh, please, Help us against our enemies, for all human help is useless. With God's help, we will do mighty things, for he will trample down our foes. I just thought that was, that, that's the reality of the situation. It's like, you think you can help yourself, but more times than not, when I've tried to defend myself, it's only created, it only made the issue even worse. Because it makes that person feel like they have to justify what they're saying, and it just, it, 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 yeah, it only makes things worse, all right? God is the one that can handle things way better than us. And as you see with these Christians here, who most likely understood that there's no basis for this, so therefore we don't have to really respond or feel the need to defend ourselves, and, and, and ultimately knowing that God will defend them and reveal the truth. And that's that's what happens, all right? Which I should say could have very well meant that there was going to be an unjust season of suffering, all right? That if you let God defend you, it doesn't mean you're going to have to, not going to have to go through something hard, okay? Because we just saw with Paul and Silas in the last chapter that they were beaten and thrown into prison and they did nothing wrong, right? Now, that didn't happen in this case. In this instance, God delivers them from these unwarranted accusations. But we have to remember 
The thing that matters most is that you are right in God's eyes. All right, that's all that matters. Number one, we can know that in 100% confidence in knowing that any sin you've ever done is forgiven, okay? So that's the reason why you want to check with God first and make sure that you didn't do something wrong. Because if you did, you can go to him and know that Jesus paid the price for that sin and you're good with him and that clears your conscience, all right? So that's important. But if we've done that and we know we're ripe for God, then we really can be confident that it doesn't really matter what accusation is made against us because nobody has the power to do any harm to us that God isn't in control of, right? And the only reason for really anything other than good things being done, I mean, like, again, you experience hard things in this life, but God's promise is what? To work them for your good at all times. So if you haven't done some sort of sin and self-inflicted consequences on yourself, then you're good. I mean, I know that's hard to, like, receive but that is the truth you are good because god is in control of everything and jesus tells us something to this effect in matthew 10 28 through 31 he says don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body they cannot touch your soul fear only god who can destroy both soul and body in hell what is the price of two sparrows one copper coin but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it and the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable God to God than a whole flock of sparrows. I love that. God's shown you how valuable you are to him and allowing his son to die for you. And he says over and over again, you have nothing to worry about. I'm working all things for your good. Just be right with me. So that's our comfort in those situations that like, man, I just want to be right with God and I can trust him to defend me. And he'll be faithful to do that. All right. And Jesus gives us the ultimate example to follow in how to view and respond to unjust treatment, right? When he was going through his unjust um, persecution and arrest and everything. Uh, If you guys know all the gospel accounts of that, and I encourage you to read through it if you haven't. But man, when they're questioning him and they're accusing him of all these things that he never did wrong. What does he do? He, He answers truthfully in the opportunities that he's given. But You never see him feel the need to defend himself. You never see him feel the need to vindicate himself because ultimately he knew he was sinless. And ultimately because of that, he had complete confidence that, man, as long as I'm in the will of the Father, I'm good. I don't have to worry about what's going to happen to me. I know God will take care of me. Amen? And you see that in one of his responses to Pilate in John 19, 10 through 11 When Pilate's getting frustrated because he's like, don't you know I have the power to free you? He says, why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded, don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? And I love Jesus' response because this is our response. We're feeling like that, right? He says, you have no power over me at all unless it was given to you from above. Amen? That's the reality. No, but nothing can happen to us that God doesn't allow. And he says, I'm going to work all things for your good. Now, I've gotten to experience this personally in my life in more than a few instances, all right, with false false things or people talking about me, saying things that weren't true. And and that wasn't just as a pastor. That was back in my job when I was a, a project manager for ODOT. Because I think anytime you're in a position, the more visible you are to people, the, the bottom line is the more, the more opportunities people have to say things about you, all right? Or for you to even involuntarily offend someone or something like that and for them to say something. So that's just a reality. But I'm going to be honest, like a lot of those times I didn't handle them right. My initial response was to do exactly what I just told you not to do. 
And it was to react out of emotion and feel the need like, no, they need to be corrected. They're totally wrong in, in what they're saying. That's not true. And that's just presuming the facts. And they don't know what the facts are. But over time, the Lord was really challenging me and teaching me to let him handle it instead of myself. Because when I tried to do it, I was only making things worse. And he's like, do you trust me? I told you I'll defend you. And what I saw in those instances where I let him do it, I saw, A, the truth always comes to light. All right? The truth reveals itself. You don't need to, I know I need feel like I need to be adamant to make, to, to be the one to reveal the truth. But here's the reality. God will be faithful and the truth will reveal itself. But then even in that, the Lord had a way of over time helping me understand the real issues that were going on with those people. That that wasn't, you know, what the ultimate reason was why they were saying the things they were saying, which gave me compassion towards them. Sometimes it having to do nothing with me, just something personally they were going through and be able to show grace. And through that, God would, in a sense, bring them to a place of understanding why they were saying the things they were saying. And and, and there would be a, a restoration of the relationships or whatnot without me having to do anything. And that's ultimately what we want, right? We don't want to be at odds with people. We want there to be relationship, like in, in not, you know, any misunderstandings or any hard feelings. That's that's what God says. And when I let God handle it, that's what would happen. Here's the other thing God was teaching me in all of this. And this is something that will free you from a lot of discouragement in your life. I remember God specifically saying once, are you living to glorify me or glorify yourself? And I would say, oh, no, I'm for your glory, Lord. I want your glory. And he's like, why do you care about what other people think then? He's like, because if it's about my glory, it shouldn't really matter. I get that you want people to like you so you can share stuff with them and stuff. But at the end of the day, if we're truly living to glorify God and we know we're good and right with him, we can live with other people. It's, like I said, as long as we know we haven't done anything wrong, we can live with other people not being happy with us. And here's the reality. If you're living to be a people pleaser, you're never going to be happy because you're never going to please everyone. Have you learned that in life yet? I mean, and like I said, it's not your fault a lot of the time because we're hard to please. And so God relieves you of trying to do that, saying you don't have to please everyone. Just be who I told you to be and know that I'm pleased with you and Jesus and you can 100% have confidence in that. And you don't have to live to please anyone. Amen? Yeah, there's freedom in that. So that was an important lesson. And I'll tell you what, that helped me to agree, really enjoy what I'm doing now. Because a lot of what made it uncomfortable was the fact I was always worried about what people thought and comparing me to the next guy. And and God just really relieved me of that. Because he's like, I don't want you to be anyone but you. And it's such a great place to be to understand that. To have that just surety of knowing how God feels about you. And doing your best to, you know, like not give anyone a reason not to like you. But at the same time, just understanding, well, I can just leave that to God to defend me. Amen? And there's great conf- the great confidence you can have is knowing what uh, Paul tells us in Romans 8.31. says, if God's for you, who can be against you? Amen? If God's for you, who can be against you? That's your great confidence, all right? All right. Going on to verse 10. And it says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into 
the Jewish synagogue. So Paul and Silas, they leave uh, Thessalonica at night. The believers there probably not wanting any harm to come to them. And Paul and Silas probably not wanting to bring, again, any unnecessary further persecution on the Christians there. But this is after a church been planted. They must have felt like, all right, there's a, a good church here. There's mature believers. We can leave them now. And they head to Berea, obviously undaunted by the persecution that they had faced up to this point. Because what do they do? They go straight into another synagogue. You see this. This is the fourth time they've been run out of town for simply telling people about Jesus. But they're relentless. They don't stop. And it's a good example for us. You guys have heard me say it many times. If you are doing what God has called you to do, if you are where God wants you to be, you can bet the enemy does not want you to be there. And you're going to face some sort of opposition. All right? But here's the thing. I learned this long ago. Heart, ministry being hard is a normal thing. That's not a sign. Yeah, if you have sin or something, you know, like you, you could be making it harder than it needs to be. But it, it should be hard. That's a good sign that actually God is using you to do great things. All right. And, and, and it's going to hurt sometimes. All right. That's normal. I like to look at it. Ministry is a lot like football. Okay. I love sports analogies. I'm like Paul. But it is a lot like football. Because here's the thing. I used to have this coach and he'd always tell me. He's like, suits, are you injured? Are you hurt? And, and, and like he said, there's a difference. If you're injured, then you need to come out of the game and take a break. But if you're hurt, that's a normal part of the game, all right? You are going to get owies, and it hurts the team for you to be out of the game. You need to stay in there and suck it up and keep going, all right? And that's like ministry, okay? Sometimes we do get injured. Sometimes we need to come out of the game and just be a Mary and let the Lord minister us and heal us because the minister is always more important than the ministry, all right? He doesn't need us to do anything like I often say, but he chooses to use you because he wants you to be blessed. But there are those seasons. But more times than not, they're just owies. All right? And we can't be coming out of the game every time we get an owie. We just keep going and we trust in Jesus to give us strength and get us through it. All right? Because he always has. Amen? And that's what these guys do here. Okay? And it goes on in verse 11. It says, now these Jews were more noble. These Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And they received the word, or they welcomed it, is the idea, with all eagerness, examining or investigating the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them, therefore, believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So Paul and Silas, they go to Berea. They do the same thing they've gone everywhere else. They simply preach the good news using the word of God and it says here, the people in Berea, in their desire to know the truth of God and live according to it, eagerly listened to what Paul and Silas were teaching. And then they compared what was being told to them to what God's word actually said to verify it was accurate. And as a result, many of them believed in Jesus, including many Gentile women and men that were of notable stature in Berea. Now, note, there are two things we're going to focus on here that are mentioned about these people in Berea that made them more noble than those in Thessalonica. Or the idea was that they were more open-minded. They were ready to receive what was being told to them um, or they had a desire because of this desire to live rightly for God. And so there are two things that are noted here. And first, write this down if you're a note taker. 
they receive the word of God with all eagerness. Okay? They receive the word of God with all eagerness. Basically, these people, they welcomed, they accepted, they wanted the word of God to lead them in their lives. They had this humility and understood that we are lost without God's guidance in this world. And they recognized his word as being essential to receiving that guidance, okay? And, and this is right in line with what God's word tells us. God tells us, or Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, he says, all scripture is inspired by God. That means God is the one that inspired the people to write it. This whole entire book, it's God's very words, all right? All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every, every good work. All right. So in this section of scripture, all means all and every means every. That's why we believe going through all of scripture verse by verse. So we are fully equipped for every good work. The Lord wants to do in and through us in life because it tells us the word is needed for that, right? I've used this example before, but it always seems fitting to me every time my wife gets something new from Ikea, okay? If you've ever put something together, how many of you guys have put something together from Ikea? Whoever gets paid to put those things in the box as neatly as they do, man, I hope they make bank because that is amazing. But here's the thing. Those things are complicated, all right? I mean, you go there for a deal, but it spends you all, it takes a whole day because there's so many parts and pieces. And the instruction book, booklets are insane. All right? They are. And if you don't have that instruction booklet, that thing is not going to look like it's supposed to. Okay? And that's our life. Apart from God's word, it is going to be messed up if we don't have God's word to guide us. Okay? And we should look at it that way. We should approach it. We should be like them with all eagerness understanding that. And this teaching that has kind of crept up and been allowed in the church that somehow you can identify as a Christian without identifying with all of God's word. It's a lie from the enemy to allow justification of sin in a person's life, which is only going to result in bad things. All right. God's word is what defines what a follower of Jesus is. And to truly believe in the Jesus of the Bible as your Lord, you have to truly believe the whole counsel of the word which defines who he is. And if you pick and choose the parts of God you like and reject those you dislike from his word, then you're not receiving and believing who God says he is. You're basically just creating an idol based off of your own sinful, misled ideas. And it does no good to believe in something that's not real. All right? And that's not a place any of us want to be be in because there's always consequences that come with departing from God's word. Okay? We want to be like the Bereans who eagerly receive and believe what God's word and what he says to us through it. Amen? Amen? That's the right way to approach it. The only way to approach it 
to explain, to understand who God is, understand his plan for you and receive the good blessings he wants. Amen. All right. So that's first. They receive the word of God with all eagerness. Here's the second thing they do. And this is important. All right. They examined the teacher of God's word. All right. All right. This is you examine me. Okay. This applies for me too. These people respected the word of God more so than the teacher of it. And so they didn't base what they believed off of what was being told to them, but rather they based what was being told to them, whether they believed it or not, based off of what God actually said about it in his word. Okay? Here they had arguably the most famous apostle and theologian of the early church, the human author of 13 New Testament books, teaching them in person. And not one of them sitting there saying, wow, he's a great speaker. Wow, he's super funny. Wow, he's super intellectual. They, there wasn't even any one of them saying, I don't really like the way he teaches the word. No, what they were saying was, is what he's saying true? Because that's, that's what matters to us. We want truth. And they took what was being said and then they compared it to the word, the Old Testament. That's what they had. And they're like, we need to verify this. Because if this is truth, we want to know it. We want to live according to this. That's what they were doing. And it wasn't a casual verification. It says they examined the scriptures daily. Or the idea is that they worked hard on a regular, consistent basis on investigating what was being told to them in God's word to make sure they understood it for themselves. And with the anticipation that God's word would give them the truth they were looking for. The Bible wasn't just another book. It was the only source of truth they could rely on. And that truth was there for them to learn from as they were ready to receive it as such. As verse 11 says. Amen. All right. And this is why we hand out Bibles to whoever needs them every week. All right, guys. This is what we're trying to encourage. This is why we turn on the lights when we're actually doing the teaching. Because we want you to read along with us. And know that what's being taught is actually what God's word says. This is why I encourage you guys to read the Bible and study it on your own all the time. This is why we provide a, 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 a through the year Bible schedule up front. If you don't, if you're newer to being a Christian and you don't know where to start, you can grab one of those and it gets you in a good habit of reading the word. Even if it's just a little bit daily. We're trying to exhort you to be those that examine and know God's word for yourself first and foremost and not to rely on me or anything else is the primary way that you know what God's word says. Amen? All right. goes on in verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. So these unbelieving Jews in Thessalonica, they, they catch wind of Paul teaching the good news somewhere else. They're not satisfied that he's gone from their town. So they make this 60-mile trek in Berea to kind of stir people up against him there as well. And it says in verse 14, Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So the believers, they, they recognize it's mainly Paul that's in danger. And they send him off while his trusted and capable companions, Silas and Timothy, they stay behind 
And they keep discipling. They keep getting that church ready to a place where they can leave it. And Paul moves on to Athens, considered to be by many the intellectual capital of the world at the time, maybe in all the history of such great philosophers as Aristotle and Plato and Socrates. And Paul's going there to preach the good news of Jesus. And eventually he has Silas and Timothy come because the work's so great there. We'll talk about that later time. Amen. All right. Now, as the worship team comes up here, I just want to kind of circle back to the importance of what this church, the example they set for us in being those that were so eager to receive the word. All right. Because here's the thing. Because these people in Berea were eager to receive the word of God, number one, and then examine it for themselves to make sure what they were being told was accurate. It says the result of that was that many of them believed or they had faith produced in their lives because of that because of that eagerness and that examining of god's word or knowing it for themselves it produced faith now isn't that whole point of being a christian right faith we walk by faith and not by we are charged to live our whole entire lives for the lord by faith and if faith comes through god's word that should tell us how important it is or how important it should be in our lives. Actually, Paul tells us in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Some of your translations, New King James says the word of God to trust in Jesus. We want faith to trust in God's promises. We should be people all about the word. Amen. That faith. And what I'm talking about is real faith, like not like faith that when you are tested, when you are presented with a trial, it doesn't waver. All right. It doesn't fold. It's secure because, you know, for yourself. No, no, no. I haven't just been told this. I know this. I've examined the scriptures and I know this is what God says for that type of faith. It's going to come just like through them, through being eager for God's word and receiving and believing what he says, all right? Now, hopefully you do learn and hear from God when the pastor is teaching, all right? Hopefully you learn when you're listening to other teachings. Hopefully you learn when you're reading commentaries. Hopefully when you're doing Bible studies. Hopefully when you're talking with other believers of the things of God. Those are all ways that you learn God's word. But in order, again, for your faith to be genuine and hold up, and be strong. You have to be confident in the word yourself. Because you've examined it. Because you know it. And the more you do that, the stronger your faith is going to be in God and his promises to you. And I can't help but wonder, if you know the New Testament, quite a few of these churches, including Thessalonica, are churches that Paul had to write follow-up letters to to encourage them or correct them in things. But Berea wasn't one of those churches. And I wonder if it's because they were so strongly eager to be in God's word. And they were so ready to receive God's word. And they knew God's word so well. They were always examining it. Paul was just like, these guys don't need my encouragement. They're getting it straight from the source. Their lives really reflected righteousness because, man, they're like, this is what God's word says is what we're going to do. I don't know that. That's presumption. But, I mean... It it stands to reason. If we don't approach the word of God with eagerness and examine it ourselves daily, 
Here's two things you're going to open yourself up to. We open ourselves up to being misled by the enemy's lies, which every one of us can face every day. Every time we have doubt, worry, it's because the enemy's getting you to believe things that are opposite of what God says about you and your relationship. And you open yourself to that if you don't know God's word for yourself. Because when you have a strong faith in what God has said and you know it for yourself, it will cut right through those lies. The Bible compares it to a sword. It's your weapon in the attacks against the enemy because it cuts right through him and says, nope, that's not true. I know that's not true. Sometimes you, when you're learning God's word, you might not know even know where to look, but you're like, I know it's not true. I've read that. So that's one thing it'll do. The other thing it'll, it'll open you up to, if you're not somebody that's in the word daily and examining it for yourself and know for yourself, is being misled by bad teachings or false teachers or false books. And I see that more often than I would like as a pastor when I see dear brothers and sisters like sharing things on social media or recommending like teachings or, or books. And I'm like, dude, this is not biblically right. Let's look at the word and what it says about this. And those are things we can all be susceptible to. That's why we need to heed this example and really take it to heart. Because here's the thing. I can't make you do this. God's not going to make you do it. It's something that you have to discipline yourself to do. And maybe you think, well, isn't that being legalistic? No, it's not. We discipline ourselves to do all types of things in our life that we think will be a benefit to us. We discipline ourselves to work out. We discipline ourselves to diet. We discipline ourselves to work really hard at the hobbies we like to do. All because we think they'll bring good things to us. How much more should you discipline yourself to the things that are of eternal value that you can 100% know will be an absolute benefit to you for all eternity? Amen? Those are the things we should discipline ourselves the most in. And being those that are eager to receive God's word and examine it for ourselves should be one of those things first and foremost we're disciplined in. Amen? Because of how much it will affect your spiritual walk with the Lord. And here's the thing. What I've found is since the word is living and active, as Hebrews 4.12 tells us, or basically it's a vital part of your relationship with God because it's one of the primary ways he speaks to you. So here's the thing. As you draw near to God, And you give him those opportunities to speak to you. He draws near to you like the Bible says he will. And he does speak to you. And here's the thing. As you learn that, man, this is great. I feel close to God. I'm hearing from him all the time because I'm making this effort to to read his word, to be in his word, to spend that time with him. It doesn't become something you have to do out of discipline. It becomes something that you just love to do, like these Bereans. Like you just can't wait. You're eager for it. Because that's where we all want to be, in that sweet spot, that close relationship with God. Amen? Amen. Starts out as something you discipline yourself to do, but it turns into something that you love to do. Because it's one of the primary ways we know our Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, we're going to praise him. We're going to have a prayer team around the room. I don't know what that means for you. But the Holy Spirit here is ministering to you right now. And telling each of us like what that means for us. Maybe you're somebody that's already come to this place and realized this. And you're just like, yes, I just love God's word. I can't get enough of it. Amen. Stay in that place. Because that will be where you're most stable and secure in your relationship with him. But if you're somebody that's newer in your faith, 
And this is kind of something you're hearing for the first time. You're wondering why, why do these people read God's word? Why are they so into it? Why are they going verse by verse? Now you know why. And what a better foundation to start out on than being in the word. I remember when I first got saved, um, one of the things I was kind of challenged with was like, just read your Bible and pray for 20 minutes a day. And it started out as something just, I'm a disciplined person. So it's like, I like a routine. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And I didn't even understand like half the stuff, probably more that I was reading. Didn't really understand prayer and all that thing. But man, it started me in this good habit of drawing near to God and God was speaking to me and teaching me things I didn't even know to where it was like, man, we were moving often early in our marriage and come to a church and I'd hear something. I'm like, that's not right. I don't know where that is. I got to search the scriptures. I got to examine, but I know that's not right. And so God was just ministering me and teaching me things without even me knowing it. And once I realized that and realized it was keeping me close, it was keeping me stable, it was let me hear God's voice, it was like I never wanted to depart from that. It was an easy thing. It was something I yearned, I was eager to do. So that's the best thing I can encourage you. And if you're somebody that just, you know, you've been a Christian for a while and you've never become like a Berean, you've never been somebody dedicated to the word, well, here's your exhortation, your encouragement to do that. Maybe if you feel like you're distanced from God, that's all it is. Just dedicate yourself to the word and that will bring that closeness that you desire. Amen? Amen. Well, let's seek the Lord. Let's praise him in this last last moments. If you need prayer, come up and get prayer for whatever you might need prayer for. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you that you created this way for us to be close with our creator. That through the blood of Jesus, as we talked about last week, through your sacrifice on the cross, the payment for our sins through us acknowledging we're sinners and we needed you to save us. We've been made right with God and we have this father-child relationship. We can talk to you about anything. You want to be involved in every area of our life and you've given us your word so we don't have to wonder about things. We can know who you are. We can know your promises to us. We can know your good plans for us. And so, Father, I'd be foolish not to just be eager and dedicate dedicated to examining this and knowing it, knowing everything I can know about you and knowing that it's living and active in, in that it doesn't matter how many times I read it, there might be one meaning, but there's so many different applications depending on what's going on in my life that you want to speak to me about. And I see you do that over and over and I thank you for that. And I pray that same for my brothers and sisters, Lord. Lord, we want to be in that place of hearing your voice of like when the Bereans, like when you speak to us, receiving it, go like, man, that's that's wisdom. That's right. Because God says it. That's what I want to live in my life. Because I know there always be blessing that comes with obedience to your word. We know, Lord, it's not obedience that we do to earn your love. It's because we're thankful for your love. You have shown your love to us And we'd be foolish to do anything opposite of what you say because you only obviously desire good things for us. And your word is full of how to experience those things. And we thank you for it, Lord. Speak to us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.